1: Welcome. In today's episode, I will be chatting with Carrie Locker. She is a postpartum nursery, RN, and mom to three young babies. She loves educating on all things motherhood, including breastfeeding, babies, postpartum care and mental health. In today's episode, we will be talking about those first few weeks of breastfeeding. We're going to be talking about the difficulties that come with that, some things that can make it a little bit easier, and overall, just normalizing what happens. I'm so excited for this episode because it's something I truly, truly love talking about. And without further ado, let's chat with Carrie. Good morning, Carrie. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to have you. Me too. So, you are pregnant right now with your fourth. Right? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Oh, that's so exciting. When do you
0: do? <laughs> I am due early September. They think like the third or fifth somewhere in there. Uh welcome to the yeah. land of four
1: babies. I know. I'm excited and so okay. nervous at the same time. <laughs> I mean, it's all one and the same. Once you pass three, I feel like, you know. I that's what I was gonna say,
0: because you're already outnumbered. So you know yeah. what? Throw another one in there. Yeah. I
1: mean- <laughs> entertain each other. And it's really like watching my oldest three or is they just like hang out so well most of the time. I mean, they fight. Yeah. Like every, but course. it's great because they're not constant. like mom, 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 mom. They have their own built in playgroup. Yep. I love
0: it. I know that's how my oldest two are right now. And I think Lou, my third is starting to get there where she wants to hang out with them. And it is just adorable. So it's I'm very excited. Cute. Very cute.
1: <laughs> So today we are going to chat about breastfeeding during those first few weeks, which I feel like is a topic that should be talked about before women even give birth. And I know they cover it, mm-hmm. you know, slightly in the pregnancy classes that you can take, but I feel like there's not enough emphasis on it. And I feel like you can never be too prepared. Absolutely. I yes. think we should both kind of give you know, our stories, you know, now that we've, you know, I've had four kids, you're on three, almost four yeah. and just kind of our experience, because I think, you know, it's so funny because when I was pregnant with my first, I had a lot of moms who were like, oh, it'll just be second nature, you know, it'll yes. just come so easy. No problem. And then there were some other moms that were like, eh, nef- definitely not. So, <laughs> you know, I had my first and I was like, this is a nightmare. Like, yeah. I mean, I had such a hard time with my first and she was really jaundiced. She had bilirubin levels of 18 to 20. She was almost hospitalized, but we had a billy blanket at home, which is a whole nother story in itself. And as a first time mom trying to breastfeed your baby on a billy blanket for three weeks, oh my like gosh. not the greatest, you know, like it's no. hard enough to try to get that latch and get that, you know, you're trying all these different pillows and oh my, like, what can I do? And now, you know, with a fourth baby, I just throw her on like she's half on. Half <laughs> yeah. you know, there's no pillow. There's no... But, you know, it's really hard because it's such an awkward thing when you're, you know, a first time mom and you just don't you just don't know, you know, what you're doing. So my first was this huge nightmare. I almost quit a million times and mm-hmm. everybody just kept saying just hit the two month mark, just hit the two month. And I was like, I will never get there. I'll never get there. <laughs> <laughs> so I just kept going. I just kept going. And, you know, it was a piece of cake after, you know, like a, like two or two months or so and then with my second i had a whole other slew of problems that had occurred and then with my third i had you know issues in the beginning which i feel like is going to be you know the case in a lot of women just because getting that latch is very difficult because yes. the mouths are only so big and your nipple you know areolas yep. is big yeah it's just a really hard combination but i ended up getting a fungal infection which uh, oh, thrush is, is the worst yes it is and then with maggie this was my best experience, obviously, right. because I was like, listen, I've got this.
0: <laughs> this has to work this time. Hey, yeah. you're so deserving
1: at that point. <gasps> You've
0: been through, been through the I, ringer with the first three. You deserve right? this.
1: Right? Right? So I'm like, <laughs> okay, we got this. I'm prepared. But you know, it doesn't matter how prepared you are. I still ended up with abrasions. I still had an extremely sore sore nipple for two weeks, Mm -hmm. but I was prepared. I had my APNO cream, which we'll talk about later. And I was like, ready to go. I had a combination of using a nipple shield on and off for two weeks with whenever I was trying to heal a nipple and then a combination of the APN. It was just a perfect combination. So We will kind of get into that as the episode progresses, but I really feel like that fourth baby was magical. So I'm hoping maybe you and I both can like get everybody the information (laughs) they need to have a really pleasant experience. You know, I mean, it's not going to come without pain. The pain is going to be there, but at least they'll have the tools that they need to succeed. Exactly. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how breastfeeding has been for you
0: same girl same as you it's been like up and down so my first i had a terrible experience which i've been a postpartum and nursery nurse my entire nursing career so i figured oh i'll know what to do i help moms do this all the time you know yeah. this is going to be foolproof for me and i struggled big time i ended up what happened is my son would latch on one side and he would not latch on the other side. So I thought, oh, well he's not he's not really nursing well on that second side. I'm gonna go ahead and pump it for twenty minutes. Oh, Ended yeah. up with a huge oversupply, which sounds great. It's terrible. Engorgement, clogged ducts, like the fourth day of life I'm struggling with like clogged ducts and engorgement and it's terrible and so then he wouldn't latch on the first side that he was doing well on because it's like trying to latch onto a boulder so yeah that's where we had to pull out the nipple shield and go that route and my husband I remember him struggling and squirting like sugar water on the nipple shield so he'd latch onto it. and we were just a disaster and I was yep. crying oh it was awful. oh yeah lots of tears and, Oh, lots of tears. And then finally, that ended up evening itself out around, I would say the same as you, like two-ish months. We finally got our groove going. And then we ended up with Thresh, too. So, girl, I got you. (laughs) I get that. And then my second, I'm going to be honest, she was really a breeze for me. Like it was such a a relief because I was terrified on how that experience was going to go. However, she as a baby was very colicky, very refluxy. So struggling with that was hard. But the nursing aspect was a a lot easier the second time for me. Now, my third was the same as I think you said your first who you struggled with jaundice and bilirubin levels. That's how Lou was. She was very lethargic, wouldn't latch, and I just kept thinking, oh, she's just in that sleepy phase, just in that sleepy phase. So I kind of let it go, and it delayed my milk coming in because I wasn't stimulating myself um, because I was afraid of pulling the pump out after what happened with my first. So it's just been all over the place. And of course, Lou, once she kind of came out of that little jaundice state, we had a billy bed at home and everything we had to use. Breastfeeding got a
1: lot better after that. So yeah. Hopeful I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're gonna nail it. But it's like those those Billy babies, they don't wake up for anything. I'm no, like, no, no, oh. no, and they're like, you. Ha-. So when I when she had jaundice levels of you know 18, they're like, okay, so you're you're going to need to supplement. So supplementing mm-hmm. and nursing and pump, you know, doing all the things, and you know, it's like. Oh, so they had me on an hour and a half schedule. I was like, I'm sorry, what? Oh, my god! Oh, you have to wake her up every hour and a half. I'm like, even overnight? Oh, they're like, At over, overnight you can go to two hours. I was like- Yeah, you're like, oh, great, thanks. Uh. And they're like, well, either that or she has to come into the hospital, you know? So I'm like, all right, no, let's do this. And I mean, waking her up was like, oh, I remember like splashing. This poor child. I mean, I was like- <laughs> Yeah, you're like oh, doing so cold hard.
0: washcloths, like all all yeah. the tricks that you can think of. And they're Everything. like,
1: nope. I'll yeah. Pass. <laughs> yeah. So actually let's dive into that because I, I know one of the questions on here was, you know, how do you wake a sleeping baby when they need to nurse? What are your what are your tricks for that?
0: Yeah. So of course when they're in the jaundice state, it's more of a lethargy. It's a little bit harder to get them to wake up. But where when they're just in that really sleepy state they don't want to come out of and it's time for them to eat, you can do like a cold washcloth across their neck or their back tickling their toes sometimes helps. Sometimes I'll even, this sounds a little silly, but sometimes I'll even just gently flick the bottom of their feet to kind of Mm -hmm. get them to start stirring and waking up. Babies hate having their temperature taken axillary under their arm, So you could always Mm -hmm. do that to get them to wake up. Of course, diaper changes and that type of thing I try to incorporate before a feeding because that helps expose them to a little bit of cold air and help them wake too. And then, if they're kind of falling asleep quickly at breast, definitely utilize breast compression because it it increases the flow of your milk, and that kind of wakes them up to start gulping what's in their mouth. So yes. that can be helpful.
1: Yeah, because you know, with my first, I was like, okay, I got her on, but then I'm like, yeah, wait, but she's not drinking. <laughs> Suck, 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 sleep. Yep,
0: I know how that goes. And you're like, what the heck?
1: I'm like, wait, I thought I nailed this. Wait, oh, no.
0: The struggles, I tell it you. Is.
1: I know, but we're all together in it, you know? Yes, um, we are. <laughs> so what is a common mistake or unknown that you see many moms struggle with?
0: Um. So honestly, I would say the biggest things – well, there are a couple things that I see as a struggle, especially in the hospital – one of them is latch, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a lot of moms really struggling to latch their baby by they bring themselves to the baby. So I, I'll walk into a room and I see a mom leaning completely forward. She looks so uncomfortable. And I'm like, girl, 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 you lean back, get comfy, put some pillows behind you, bring baby to you. That's how mm-hmm. you want to latch your baby, not you to the baby, bring baby to you. And then um, the other thing I think would be what we call second night syndrome, which is where babies get increasingly fussy and frantic at breast, and they want to eat way more often than every three hours. And parents give up at that point because they think, I'm not making anything. This this, this baby's starving. They're not getting anything. Um, and so they want to give up at that point because it is a really hard night, that second and third yeah, night even. Very, is. very difficult. So
1: those are the two most common, I would say. Yes, and you know, I feel like I'm this like hunchback over here after <laughs> nursing for kids yes. because I mean, it's hard because you're focusing on so many different things, especially the latch. And so yep. you just yep. you just gradually and gradually fold over in yes, half you do. as you're trying to get that latch and then, you know, it's not until somebody says, "Okay, relax your shoulders and yep. just lay back." You're like, "Oh. Okay, yeah. Yes. Okay,
0: this feels so much better." Oh no. But but I mean you're exactly right. There you want you want to get that latch so deeply, so bad that you will do literally anything
1: to make it happen. So yes. that's
0: where we find ourselves falling forward. And I'm like, no, girl. <laughs>
1: so yes. Bad. I feel like this is the hardest part about those first few days is getting a good latch. And the thing Ooh, that you yes. do not want is the shallow latch. That is yes. torture. And without a doubt, if you have that shallow latch and you have them on for even a minute, like you've already created like a, a blister or an abrasion, it's just not going to be, it's just not going to go well for you. So tell us what your tips are for trying. I mean, I know that I would just go onto YouTube and say, you know, like how to get that right. And just watching a video was super yeah, helpful. It's um, extremely helpful.
0: Yes. So what are your, what are your tips for that? So definitely utilizing yourself and the baby. So what I mean by that is you want, to, you want to make sure you're positioning your breast properly and your baby properly, meaning use your free hand to actually sandwich your breast where you're creating a little bit of a ledge so you're kind of not squeezing harshly, just gently on your breast above the areola. To make a ledge for your baby to actually grab onto because you don't want your baby just grabbing on the nipple. I see a lot of moms think that breastfeeding means baby's just sucking on the nipple and that is a shallow latch. That's not what we want. That's not where your milk ducts are. So baby is not going to be extracting a lot of milk with that, which can hurt your supply um, or delay your milk coming in. It can obviously, like you said, cause abrasions, blisters, cracks, bleeding, all of that, which can be torture for latching later on. So, and Sometimes you don't realize you have a shallow latch until you're like, you've been doing it for, you know, a couple feedings or even 24 hours. And then you're like, oh my gosh, why does this hurt so much? And it's because baby has had a shallow latch. So I think it's really important to sandwich the breast. It's really important to make sure you're bringing baby to you and making sure that you let them root a little bit and get that big open mouth, that big O, so that you can put baby on properly. I think that is essential.
1: Yes, exactly. And I, I found it. I think I would always let my baby, the, the times where I did let them latch when I knew it was going to be shallow is mm-hmm. like, they would start to fuss. And it gave me, I was like, so anxious. I was like, I just have to get them on. They're so hungry. They're so hungry. But here's the thing. Like you really need to just take, like, if that's happening, like my suggestion is always like, if you have somebody else with you, give the baby to somebody else for a second, take a breather breath. yeah, and then start back over and the baby will eat and getting a big wide latch is only going to help them and you. So Exactly. But I would always think to myself, no, I'll just I just have to get her on or get yes, her on and it'll be been fine there. Uh-huh. It's really not fine. So I always just say, you know, put the baby down and just take a couple minutes. And so, let's talk about you do have a shallow latch. And sometimes it's hard because baby's mouths are small. Your areola could be very large. You know, it's not a great matchup sometimes. <laughs> yes. And that's the case sometimes. Yes. yes. And and really, I mean, I've found that with every single baby, as I mentioned before, I mean, I've always been sore. I've always had abrasions every single time. And it's just a matter of baby like mouth, you know, growing and just being able to get that good latch after like a week or two. So. We kind of briefly talked about this before we got on, but APNO cream. What are your thoughts on APNO cream?
0: <laughs> I love it. Like we like we talked about, I think it should go home with every mom. I honestly, yeah. it has saved me so many times. I I think I got it with my first once we got thrush, kind of like you. And I was yeah. like, "What what in the world? Why are we not giving this to everybody? This is incredible. It's magic in a jar. And I have recommended it here on Instagram like so many times. And I'll have people write in and be like, I am so glad you told me about that. It is the best yes. ever. So it is an anti-inflammatory, antibiotic, and antifungal cream all mixed in one. It's like a combination ointment. It is a prescription that your doctor has to write. And you can get it typically through your hospital pharmacy, but. I love that stuff. It has helped with cracks, bleeding, pain. Oh my gosh, it is incredible. So if you do have blisters or cracks or bleeding, any of that, look into APNO cuz I felt I I honestly felt like lanolin was chapstick for me. It yes. did nothing. So I So I was like, I'm
1: like what is this stuff used for? Yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> I'm like this is not helping at all. So My doctor just like right off the bat with my second, I was like, can I get APNO just in case? And he's like, of course. So he wrote that for me
1: right away. And I get it every single time thereafter. Yes. (laughs) I know it's just so great, and there are a couple things that I'll add in here too. Is so APNO stands for just for those listening, because I know some people are like, "Wait, what are you talking yes. about?" What are you it's talking about? It's all-purpose nipple ointment, and like Carrie mentioned, it's an antibiotic ointment, a steroid ointment, and an antifungal in one. So mm-hmm. it basically has the abilities to fight like all these nasty things that you might be dealing with in those first few weeks, or you know later on too. You can absolutely use this. Like what I did was, I got my APNO cream right off the bat in the hospital with baby number four, I was yes. like, I am doing this. And I what this. I did, th- I <laughs> had to advocate for myself. So it wasn't like they suggested it. It was, I had, I already had abrasions at, before we even left, I saw the lactation consultant and I said, please mm-hmm. write me for APO cream. And so she did. And something that's interesting to know is that only compounding pharmacies will make this. They are far and few between, is what I've discovered, and so some people can't even find a compounding pharmacy near them. And so I had mentioned this on my stories once, and I had a wonderful pediatrician say, "You can make your own APNO cream." And I uh-huh. said, "Yes, you can." And so I said, "This is amazing." I actually just bought all the stuff off Amazon to do like a little video on Instagram. So I was like, "This is this is like, oh magical. my god, I, I love that." Medicine. Yes, yes, yeah. So the things to note too is that I usually tell moms, and I don't know what you'll say about this, Carrie, is that I usually say to use it for like seven to 10 days until your abrasions or whatever you need to heal completely is gone. And then I, you can totally keep it for like months afterwards and then use it if something else happens down the road, which is amazing. And you just like yes. have it in your, your cupboard in case you need it. But I do tell moms, try not to use it long term because the yep. steroid can kind of like break down and not be helpful in some cases. So I do try to, you know, say, you know, use it for what you need it for and then be done with it. And then, you know, keep it in case you need it like later on.
0: Yep. And then you can use like a nipple butter or balm of your choice just for maintenance if you want to, but once everything's resolved. But another thing a lot of people don't realize is a couple months in, let's say if you get a bout of mastitis, sometimes mastitis can come from abrasions or cracks in the nipples. So APNO could be a great treatment at that point alongside an oral antibiotic if needed too. But I just wanted to mention that as well. Yes.
1: And then what was the other thing? Oh, The last thing I'll mention too, I I get asked this a lot, and I was obviously curious when I was using it. Is do you have to wipe it off before baby relatches? And no, you don't. Yeah, but you know, if if you're nervous, just wipe it off. You know, that's what I always tell people. If 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 you if, if you're worried, just wipe it off. But you don't have to. It's not going to harm baby in any way. So absolutely, yeah, that stuff is magical. It is magical. It's so great. So one of the other things that I want to talk about with you before we hop into all of these questions from my community is nipple shields. There is so much. I feel like there's a lot of pros, a little bit of some cons with it. So I would love for you to chat a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, I I have used a nipple shield with I think two of my three kids, and I think that it can be a great tool when it is needed. Yes. However, I think it gives it gets handed out to moms way too often. Way too much. Um, mm-hmm. People will look at a mom with flat nipples and say, "Oh, you have flat nipples. Here's a shield. You need to use this." When in reality, your baby is not nipple feeding; they are breastfeeding. They are latching onto breast tissue. So many moms can can nurse just fine with flat or inverted nipples even. And there are other methods to try to pull the nipple out before feeding your baby where you don't have to use a nipple shield. So it's not, it shouldn't always be the number one course or the number one recommendation if a mom has flat nipples. It should be something that could be a tool offered if other methods are not working and baby's not latching, then sure, absolutely. But if, you know, we need to try other things first. It shouldn't just be handed out to everybody just because you don't want to, you don't feel like helping them right now. So here, this is just an easy, quick fix. I don't like that at all. Now, when it's necessary, I think it's great because it helps baby realize that something's further back in their mouth, so they're more likely and willing to start sucking and initiate that Mm -hmm. sucking reflex. Um, So for some moms, it's a great tool and it's a necessary tool. And I think it's incredible for what it can do, but it's still imperative that you're making sure baby is latching onto your breast tissue, not the nipple shield itself if you are using a shield. Because otherwise, again milk transfer takes an impact or takes a hit there because you're not getting that milk transfer as a deep latch would. Yes. And there are other things like it can still cause the cracked nipples and bleeding and stuff if baby is just latched onto your nipple with the nipple shield over top of it. So definitely things to look at.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, Now, how long do you Recommend so say a mom was having some trouble like the way I use a nipple shield was with my fourth actually I was like I am armed with my nipple shield and my AP yes cream. I mean you know just in <laughs> case I need it so I actually used it to heal my nipple so like I was having a lot of issues with just one nipple and then of course once you switch to the other one the other one of starts my, you know. so I'm like a combination of this like APNO cream and then a nipple shield on the nipple that had the abrasion. Uh was a beautiful thing. And I would just use it for a couple of days. And then if my other nipple started to act up, I would use it over there. Uh, what are your suggestions? I mean, this was only like a couple of weeks, but what are your suggestions for moms that rely on this? Say they are having issues and they're using the nipple shield with every single feeding. Is there a certain amount of time where you'd be like, okay, let's really try to transfer out of this. We, we really want baby to try to just latch onto the breast.
0: It kind of depends on how baby's doing with it um, because there are definitely some moms who use it their entire breastfeeding career. Baby's gaining weight. Everything's fine. They feel good. Everything works. Um, and then there are some babies who start, you know, struggling with weight gain or their weight plateaus or maybe it's not working as well as they thought. I think typically most LCs recommend maybe like a month or two if necessary, but then baby kind of starts to become dependent on that. So it's kind of like right. the sooner the better to try to wean off. And you can try doing feedings like every other feeding just offer without the shield, right. or you can have baby start with the shield. And then as soon as your milk lets down where you get that fast spray or flow of milk, you could take the nipple shield off real quick and try to lash baby That type of thing to try to get baby to wean off. You just have to be consistent and persistent with trying every so often, but never forcing them to lash without the shield. I think that's important too. I struggled big time with that with my first we used a shield because i had that huge oversupply and i would get so frustrated when he would not latch without the shield and sometimes i remember just getting so so overwhelmed and frustrated my husband yeah. had to just take him for a second oh. and walk away and that is totally okay um yeah. but it, i had to remind myself like he is still learning and he's been depending on this for the past month like we really want to we really want to try without it but it's going to take time and that's the biggest thing is it takes time and that's okay. But that's something I want you to put in your head for sure. And the other thing is for moms who may still need that shield and maybe baby's not wanting to wean off of it and things are just not going well in that realm, I would make sure to pump after feedings then because then you're still getting that full emptying of the breasts, though breasts are never truly empty, but you want your breasts to be as empty as possible after a feeding. And if that's not happening with the nipple shield and baby's weight is taking a hit, I think it's important for your supply to protect it to pump after nursing sessions at that point.
1: Yes, I agree. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about engorgement because you were mentioning that you had uh, a lot of issues with that. And I I did only with my first and it really wasn't you know, troublesome for me. Me So Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in, you know, what are your tips for moms that have to deal with that?
0: Oh my gosh. I, first of all, my heart (laughs) is with you because it is, it like
1: everybody hears like
0: oversupply and engorgement and they're like, oh my God, that sounds great. That sounds like such a good problem, you know? And oh my gosh, it was terrible. It was terrible. So I honestly, the best thing that you can do for yourself is you want to do heat before a feeding to make that flow faster and things kind of dilate and open up and you get blood flow to that area. And then you you do like cold or ice between feedings with some ibuprofen to help with the swelling if you can. Um I think that that really helped me. I remember after my son the the nurses literally came in and they put a bunch of ice packs on my breast and then they put an abdominal binder around my <laughs> around my chest <laughs> to keep those ice packs there because it was oh so I mean day 3 it was insanity. I just remember Ugh. and it was so uncomfortable and it's painful. It's, it hurts, you know? And you're and you're leaking constantly. I mean constantly like drip, drip, drip constant out of both sides. I'm, and you're not even nursing. I'm like, oh my God, I just finished nursing and I'm still just like spraying everywhere. So I honestly think arm yourself, arm yourself with some of those breast pads to kind of soak up that milk. And then, um, like I said, heat before the feeding to kind of help with flow and get that milk out of there. And then ice between feedings as needed with ibuprofen to help with the swelling too, because it's
1: painful. Yeah. And I think the problem, the problem is too, some women are like, oh, they're so full. I need to pump this out. Yes, yeah, I'm glad And you then said the that. problem gets worse and worse. Yes, it does. Worse. That's exactly what I
0: did is I yeah. felt that way too. I felt, oh, this is really painful. They're so full. I need to like relieve myself. But then I would, it's okay to hand express or pump for relief where you can be like, oh my God, I can breathe. I don't feel like there's elephants sitting on my chest. But you you shouldn't be pumping to empty. You shouldn't be pumping past the point of relief when you have engorgement because that just tells your body. Hey, that milk's not enough. I need some more. Make some more. And then you're you're struggling all over. So I was making milk for probably twins or triplets when I had my son, when I had my one child. So it was insane. (laughs) Yes. Insane. Insane. So crazy.
1: So I have so many questions from people in my community. So let's dive into these. Let's see. All right. Amanda says, how to introduce pumping sessions while exclusively breastfeeding and not wanting to create an oversupply? Absolutely.
0: So typically you do not need to introduce, if your baby is nursing well, you do not need to introduce the pump until closer to like when you're returning to work. Of course, if you're wanting to introduce a bottle for like your partner to give or something before that, then you could just replace when your baby's getting a bottle, you put the pump on and you pump during that time. But if we're talking, you're exclusively nursing, you're returning to work at, let's say, eight weeks, um, we would typically say around four weeks, you can start adding in like a pumping session every morning after a nursing session, just to kind of, if you're wanting to build up a little like freezer stash for going back to work, that's not something you have to do. But it's a great way to get your baby used to taking a bottle a couple times a week um, and still transitioning to breast and going between that seamlessly. It's a great way to, to see how much your baby is taking in their bottle. And it's a great way to get used to the pump and kind of figure out settings for yourself and everything before going back to work too. So there's no reason to add the pump in until you're getting close to the point of having to be away from your baby.
1: Yeah, so that's so interesting because I never thought that with any of my children until my last child. Mm-hmm. When I went back to work, it was almost, he was almost, no, she was almost, I'm getting my babies confused. <laughs> <laughs> she was almost uh, three months and I didn't pump anything really. And I was like, this you don't really need it because you're going yeah. to work and you're pumping and you're going home and you're leaving that milk and you're going back, and so I think moms get really anxious about this because they're like, yep. okay, when do I start pumping? How much do I pump? Okay, like you know, and they and they kind of obsess over all of these facts. And yes, you you really don't need to. You know, your baby is going to be fine. You're going to be pumping all that milk while you're away, and then they're going to have that milk for the next time you're away. And so I think emphasizing that is huge because I think it's just another thing that they add to their plate that they really don't need to. Absolutely.
0: Right? You do not need a big freezer stash to go back to work. This is just for for people who want that or feel the need to have that. Then you can start introducing the pump a couple of weeks before you go back. Now, I will say I do think only because I really struggled with my baby going between breast and bottle when I returned to work. And that's where it comes in where I think it is a decent idea to start introducing the bottle at least like maybe two weeks before you would go back to work okay. so that yes, your baby knows that. how to go between breast and bottle. Because I returned to work and my baby did not want to take a bottle. She'd never taken one before. She's like, what the hell is this thing? No, thank you. And that, of course, put added stress on me that, oh, my God, oh, my God, she's not eating. Like, she needs me, you know. And so that was a whole a whole nother gamut of it. So that's where I think that it could be beneficial to at least start getting used to the idea of that, maybe just a couple weeks before you go back, but not necessarily for the point of, like, building a freezer stash, just more for the point of baby, you know.
1: the the bottle. Now, is there a magical time that you can introduce either a bottle or a pacifier? I mean, I know that's a question on here too later on. Sure. Is there like a magical time to introduce either of those?
0: There's no magical time. You honestly can do it whenever you want. Um, The biggest thing is how you're giving the bottle. So you want to make sure that you're doing something called paste feeding, which I go through in my breastfeeding course. But what that does is that what it says paces their feeding and gives them breaks kind of like they do at the breast so that they aren't getting that constant instant gratification from the bottle pouring down their throat and then they go to breast and they have to do work and they're like what is happening that's where you can run into a bottle preference i swear it's always something isn't it always something (laughs) um but but i think i think that that's really important it's not the type of bottle or when you give the bottle it's how you give the bottle so that's very important to note and then the pacifier It really, you know what? It really depends. Some babies do great transitioning between the pacifier, the bottle, the breast, all of that just fine. And some babies don't. So, what I tell moms is I say, Introduce the pacifier whenever you need it, but if you start noticing then baby having trouble latching or not really wanting to latch, not as vigorous at the breast, then maybe spend some time away from the pacifier and just work on breastfeeding yeah. and getting reassociated. So there's no because there are babies that do great from like the moment they're born with a pacifier yeah. and they breast breastfeed just fine, and then there are babies that are have that struggle between the two. So kind of see see what happens, what works for you. Everybody's going to be different.
1: Yes. Agree. And I think you can't emphasize that enough because every baby truly is, I mean, every single one yes. of my babies has been totally different than the last. And yes. my first three, I am so my first was colicky, just like your, I think it was your mm-hmm. third, you said? Se- it was my second. Yes. Oh, your second. Yeah. That was my worst nightmare. Yes. It was so hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the hardest times in my life. And I tried- so hard to get her to take a pacifier. I was like, yes. just take the pacifier. Do it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, that's like a whole other episode in itself. Colic, colicky babies. Yes. I feel like oh that's something that we need to address. But yeah, I mean- she wouldn't take one. So then my second, I was like, okay. And I don't know why I'm like, I just really want to be able to give my baby a pacifier. And like, really the baby doesn't need a pacifier. Three of my babies didn't take pacifier at all. Not even for a second, not even for a second. (laughs) So now my fourth is born. Right. And my my best friend, she gets me a pacifier for, Uh you know, my little like, you know, I didn't really have any type of a shower or anything, but she gets me this pacifier and I'm like, I don't need this pacifier. My babies don't take pacifiers and never say never because this baby came out and she loves her little pussy. It's the cutest thing. (laughs) It is so cute. And so I introduced, so I I nailed down the latch. I think that that's like really, was really key for me and for her. I want to say it was about a week. And then I just found that she really loved it. Like in between, she didn't. She never had it like all the time, but she would just like take it. Everyone, I was like, "Oh, this is so nice, so um, nice, yeah, it's so nice when the baby takes a passing. So now she's still she's still not a baby that needs it in her mouth all the time. Like I only give it to her when she's trying to relax to go to sleep at night yeah. and like during a nap. And oh my goodness, what a world's difference.
0: I know, oh my, isn't it? Wonderful. This is beautiful. Yeah. I, I know, I know. I I love them. And I think a lot of moms stress about like, when do I give it? When am I going to mess everything up? Am I going to mess everything up? I'm like, watch your baby and do yeah. what works for you. Like you said, you waited a week because you wanted to focus on getting that latch down. I think that's amazing. And then you can. And see if baby's willing to take a passy, you know, when they're trying to settle down for naps and sleep. I think that's great.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So let me pull up. Where are all these questions here? Okay. Okay, here we go. Here's a good one because I've never had a c-section. So breastfeeding <laughs> tips for C-section moms.
0: Yeah. What can
1: they do yeah. to position themselves well and you know that makes it comfortable for them and all of that?
0: Yes, definitely trying different positions to see what works for you. A lot of times something called side-lying works for C-section moms where you actually kind of prop yourself with pillows front and back and lay on your side and put baby up next to you, next to that breast that's closest to the bed. That works a lot. And then some moms really like football hold because baby's not laying across their abdomen or their incision. So that's where baby's kind of over on their, on the side with their legs kind of towards your back and then their head at the breast and you're holding them mm-hmm. like a football. Um, so that works really well as well. And then as far as milk supply, you, the important thing is is this supply and demand aspect of it. You need to put your baby to breast often in order for your milk to come in. I hear so often, mom, C section moms worried about their supply, and oh, I've heard that if you have a C section, your supply is not as good as if you have a vaginal delivery. That is not necessarily true. You have to, you know, try to take advantage as much as you can um, when you're seeing their hunger cues, those early hunger cues, and acting on them, just like you do for no matter what type. Of delivery, you have. It's important to put baby to breast often and frequently. And so many moms get drilled in their head every three hours, feed your baby every three hours. If your baby wants to eat every hour and a half for a little spurt and then every three hours or every two, you know, follow their cues babies don't know what a clock is. They don't know that it's been three hours. They just know that they're hungry. So it's important to watch your baby, learn their hunger cues, change their diaper, put them to breast, and let them eat because that is consistently telling your body, hey, something's at breast breast demanding milk. We need to start producing it. And the more often that happens, the sooner your milk's going to come in no matter what type of delivery you have.
1: It's so, so interesting that you said that. And I think that's really important to mention again is that I didn't realize this until my third, but breastfeeding on demand was such a freeing thing for me. I am very – like I'm type A. I'm like, okay, every three hours, every three hours. Yes. With my first – the reason why I think she had jaundice was because I was told – Mm -hmm. feed her every three hours. And that's what I was doing. And then lo and behold, my poor baby, she was like starving. Yeah, And I felt like a terrible mom because I'm like, (sighs) they told me every three hours. And so I feel like that's a really good point to take home. I mean, your baby might want to eat every hour. My boy ate much more than my girl and that's not always the case, but it was for him. And so- There is no right recipe for every baby. Every baby is going to be different. And that is why I continue. Like, I actually just went to an appointment for Maggie and they were like, okay, so how often are you nursing? And I was like, seriously? I don't know. (laughs) Like, I just, when she's hungry, I put her on when she's, you know, I feel like that's such a freeing thing for moms that are anxious about this whole process is just feed your baby when they're hungry. And all of those anxieties go out the window. So I think that's really important. And then there was one other thing that you said that I wanted to go back to. And now I'm, oh, I'm forgetting what it was. <laughs> I know. I'm isn't, isn't that think. always how it happens? Oh, I'm sure it'll, I'm sure it'll come up again. But there was like I'm one sure thing that will. you said and I should have just wrote it down right here. But then I was like, I'll <laughs> talk about feeding on demand. And then I got distracted. Okay. Let's just go back to the questions. So, okay. Are your nipples supposed to hurt when you let down your milk? Your nipples don't, well, I mean, they can.
0: You could, some women get pain with letdown. Some get just like a tingly pins and needles feeling and some feel nothing. So no matter what the case for you, when your milk lets down, it doesn't mean one thing or another about your supply. Because I've had so many people ask, like, if I don't feel my letdown, does that mean my supply is taking a hit or I have a bad supply? Absolutely not. Some women just can feel those nerves and everything tingling and, you know, feel those feelings. And some women don't. I even did a poll on Instagram like a month or two ago, and it was 50-50 on people that could oh, feel their letdown. Yeah. Isn't that nuts? On people I did who could not feel know that. Versus, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy because some people would message me like, wait, you can feel your letdown. And others are like, how can you not feel your letdown, you know? Oh my gosh. Um, mine was, so,
1: mine's painful, but it doesn't last yeah. very long. But but yeah. yeah it doesn't painful. last long, but it
0: hurts. Exactly. And mine are always more of the like moderate pins and needles feeling. I can definitely feel it, but it's not painful for me. I just can feel it it's very strong. Um but yeah, there are some moms who feel nothing. So that's why you have to watch your baby and see that they're like gulping and that's where you can tell cuz their suck pattern changes from like the flutter sucks to more of that gulp. So yeah, there are a lot of people who cannot feel it and there are people who have painful letdowns and your nipple can feel a little bit painful and tingly and like it's swelling almost because it's actually elongating in the baby's mouth when your milk lets down. So
1: interesting. I know so- I just remembered my question. Yeah, what is it? (laughs) So hunger cues. I think a lot of moms are like, well, what do you mean by that? What will my baby do? What should I look out for?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes it is, it it takes a minute to kind of catch on, especially for those early hunger cues. So, um, for the early hunger cues, if your baby's in, you know, like a nice little slumber, and then all of a sudden you notice their eyes kind of moving underneath their eyelids, their eyes are not open yet, but their eyes are just jotting back and forth under their eyelids. They're kind of starting to wake up a little bit. um, And sometimes, you know, they'll open their eyes, they're looking to each side, kind of looking for mom, Mm -hmm. stirring. Sometimes they'll bring their hand to their mouth and start chewing on their hand or attempting to latch onto their hand um, or even their swaddle blanket, they'll be trying to chew on that, opening their mouth very wide and rooting, looking for the nipple. Those are all those early to moderate hunger cues. And then, of course, crying is one of those late hunger cues. And it's important when your baby starts crying out of hunger that you first calm them down, you know, shushing, swat, whatever you need to do to calm your baby first and then attempt to latch. Otherwise, latching can become an issue because your baby's screaming and frantic and fussy, and then you're anxious because you're like, I need to feed, I need to feed, you know, they're starving, they're starving, and that's where we run into issues with, you know, accepting a, ch- a shallow latch because you just want to get the baby on, and you're like, okay, finally they're on, so um, just kind of watching your baby, learning your baby, but yes, the wide open mouth, turning head to the side, looking for mom, those are all signs, and sometimes even for some babies, increased movement, kicking their legs and kind of moving around, getting a little bit restless tells you that they're, they're ready to go see mom and eat.
1: Yes, exactly. That's great. Okay, so the next question here is, should I avoid alcohol during the early weeks of breastfeeding? You do not have to, no.
0: Alcohol is not something that needs to be completely avoided. It is important to drink in moderation. Um, What most lactation consultants at my hospitals will tell parents is, if you can handle your baby appropriately, then you know, that amount of alcohol is fine. So yes. obviously you don't want to be at a point where you're completely intoxicated and then breastfeeding your baby. Obviously everybody should know that, but <laughs> you But you never know. You know, having a glass of wine or two or enjoying a social drink with your partner, you know, that's totally fine. And you can breastfeed after that. Um, a lot of moms like to either breastfeed while they're having the drink or like they'll breastfeed right before they have their drink because it ends up leaving the bloodstream and leaving their system you know, pretty soon thereafter and you're ready for the next feeding three or so hours later, you're totally fine.
1: Right, right. Yeah, and I think a lot of moms, you know, I I talked about this briefly once, you know, having a glass of wine or, you know, Mm a glass or two. And it's like this myth out there that's like, wait, what do you mean? Don't you pump afterwards? And I'm like, "No, no, 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 no. No, no. No, you do not need to do that so little if anything, goes through the breast milk. And like you said, as long as you can handle your baby appropriately, you definitely do not need to go and pump and dump that milk. Absolutely. And milk.
0: I know. And (laughs) alcohol peak, it peaks like 40 to 60 minutes after you have your drink. So if you just fed your baby and the alcohol peaks, you know, an hour-ish after that, and then you're ready an hour later after that to feed your, I mean, it's totally fine. You know, it leaves your system. You do not need to pump and dump Alcohol does not become trapped in your milk where you like, that's what I think people think is like, okay, I drank now. It's just sitting in my breast full of
1: alcohol. No, that's not how it works. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a good point to come across. So next one is how to boost your supply if you were low with your baby number one.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's important first to look at the possible reasonings. If you really, truly think you have a low supply, because this is actually pretty rare if it is, let's just say uh, many women with like PCOS or hormonal imbalances can experience low supply, and that's something that you may need to work more closely with your doctor on getting those hormones balanced or talking about supplementing after feedings, that type of thing. Um, now, if it's just the fact that you feel like baby was doing really well, then all of a sudden your supply is starting to dip. Either you noticing your baby not as content after feedings or you just don't feel like your supply is where it used to be. Maybe you're pumping and you're noticing a dip. It's important to remember that you can get your supply up, but it is work. Um, I think that's important to remember too. I actually struggled with this with my third. I think I was two and a half, almost three months postpartum and my supply took a huge hit because she started sleeping really well at night, mm-hmm. like way too well, which yeah. I'm not bragging because my second, I was up every three hours for her whole freaking life. So, <laughs> so I deserved that. Okay. <laughs> But but uh. what happened is Lou was sleeping way too long at night, and my supply overall was taking a huge hit, so I had to work hard, and you have to try to find areas to either incorporate more nursing sessions or to incorporate the pump, so you want to just make sure, like I said before, it's all demand and supply, so you have to demand more milk from your body in order for your body to say, "Okay, seems like we're not." You know, cutting, cutting the mustard here. We need to up the ante and make a little bit more. So what I would do is I would throw in an extra pumping session when I would get home from work at night after putting my baby to bed. I'd nurse her and then I would pump. I, it's something called dry pumping where nothing's coming out, but you're still stimulating your body and telling your body, Hey, I need something. Nothing's here, but I need something. Yes. And then I would do a dream feeding where I actually nursed my baby while she was sleeping. For some babies, it works great. Some babies, it doesn't. For Lou, it worked really well. And then I would throw in an extra pumping session in the morning. Now, some moms also really like doing something called power pumping, where you set aside like an hour every night or every morning whenever it works for your schedule. And you you pump for 20 minutes. You take a 10-minute break. Pump for 10 minutes, take a 10-minute break, pump for 10 more minutes, and then you're done, that type of thing. So you're setting aside an hour to really like, what it does is it it simulates cluster feeding that your baby's at breast very, very frequently over and over again. So those are all methods that you can use to try to get your supply up. It is definitely doable when it's not necessarily derived from like a hormonal imbalance or hormonal issue.
1: Yes, yes. Love it. Okay. Now, let's see. Next, oh, you talked about this a lot. So, what do you do for clogged ducts? I've actually oh. never had one. Shock! Oh, earth. lucky girl! Yeah, isn't that crazy? You know, That's had my amazing. own share of problems, but didn't have that one. <laughs> um, how do you treat, prevent, etc.? Okay,
0: so in prevention, for some women, they're just way more prone to it than others. But the biggest issue is typically going too long between feedings, missing a feeding, skipping a feeding, where milk tends to back up in that area. Um, And what happens is those fatty cells in your milk kind of stick to the lobes in there. And it creates a clog where milk can't quite pass through or it just passes through very little. So some things that you can do, um, like I stated before with engorgement, heat definitely helps kind of dilate things, heal the area, bring blood flow there, loosen things up. And actually, movement or vibration is very good for a clogged duct. So, one little trick is actually taking the backside of an electric toothbrush right to where your clog is, because it feels like you, it almost feels like a bruise when you have a clogged duct. It's like an area where you feel like a little pea sized lump and a little bit of a bruise feeling. So you can put your backside of your electric toothbrush there and turn it on for the vibrations to try to break things up. Some moms really like um, utilizing a haka filled with warm water. And I think they use like some types of, of bath salts in there and it helps pull that clog out in the haka. So they'll fill their haka up with that and actually helps pull the clog out and loosen it up. So those are a couple things that you can do. I also highly recommend something called sunflower lecithin. I can never say that word, lecithin. (laughs) Um, So that is is incredible because it kind of helps unstick all those fatty globules, like I talked about, all those fatty parts of your milk from the ducts um, where it can actually pass through more easily. So that helps prevent clogged ducts and it can help heal them. I honestly think every mom should take sunflower lecithin, to be honest. So it's something you take- Yes. It's a supplement. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It is. And it's it's very, very helpful. There are moms who that I know who are um, very prone to clogged ducts no matter what they do. And they started taking sunflower lecithin and they saw a huge improvement in the amount of clogged ducts that they're getting. Some even had them completely resolved. So it's important to make sure too that you're emptying your breast and making sure that we're not leaving extra milk sitting in there with nursing sessions A lot of moms see clogged ducts come up if baby's going longer between feedings, baby's sleeping more at night, that type of thing, because the milk is not being emptied as frequently and your body's not used to that. So it's starting to back up and your body's trying to figure out like, oh, okay, should I back supply down a little bit because we're, you know, we're not using all of this. And that's where we kind of start running into clogged ducts and mastitis.
1: Yes. Yes. That's so interesting. I didn't know about that. Yes. That
0: yes. It's so good. A little
1: miracle medication or something. I know. It is a great little supplement. Oh, I love it. So let's see here. Advice for large breast-sized women feeding small babies.
0: Yes. I know. I see, I see this often. Yeah. Um, sometimes it takes a little bit of practice and because you do have a smaller – Baby with a smaller mouth, typically some moms will actually have to themselves, their lactation consultant or their partner, kind of pull the baby's chin down whenever they're latching to get that wider, deeper latch. Um, Sometimes that's really important. And also making sure that you're positioning your breast properly. Like we talked about earlier, you know, you still want to create that ledge for a baby to grab onto where your entire breast is not completely in their face you're giving them that little ledge to grab onto and some moms feel that they need to hold their breast the entire time and you don't even if it is covering the baby's face a bit you're sitting right there looking straight at your baby you're watching their color you're watching their movements making sure the risk of, you know, a lot of people worry about like suffocation in their baby when they have large breasts sitting on top of their baby. You are watching your baby. So making sure that you're actively involved in the feeding when you have very large breasts in a small baby is very important because you do want to make sure everything is going as it should be. But babies are typically pretty good about pulling away if they're unable to breathe, kind of pulling to the side and unlatching themselves. So I think that's important to remember. But use whatever positioners you need. If you need pillows, if you, you know, get comfortable. And some women will actually have their breasts almost lay on a pillow and then they'll create that ledge with, with their other hand and latch baby on that way. So whatever you need to do that works, you, you know, use it.
1: Whatever you got to do, you got to do. Yes. Yes. Okay. Freezing and then defrosting breast milk. Mm-hmm. How do I do that properly? Okay,
0: so freezing breast milk. I mean, you can honestly do this however you want. Typically, you want to put it in one of the little milk bags. I know Lansinoh mm-hmm. makes some, Medela. You know, every brand has yep, their own. Everybody. Even Target. <laughs> um, and so, pick one that that you want to try. And usually, you want to fill it up. It it'll tell you on the bag. You know, don't fill over this amount of milk because then. You know, your your milk expands when it freezes, so you want to make sure that you're leaving room for that to happen in the bag. Otherwise, you can get holes and stuff in it, which is no fun. So what I like to do is you pour whatever milk you pumped into the bag. You, I like to lay it flat on like a cookie sheet or a pizza box in the freezer so that it can freeze flat, and then you can stack them up in your freezer that way. You can freeze milk whenever you want. I mean, you can pump it fresh and decide, hey, I want to freeze this for later. You can bring it home from work, from your cooler and freeze it. It's whatever works for you. There's no like right or wrong with that. But defrosting, it's important to remember. Um, you can pull stuff out whenever you want to utilize it. But it's important to thaw your milk with warm water, not hot water, because that can actually destroy the proteins in the milk do not use a microwave that can also de- destroy proteins and it can cause like hot pockets in the milk where baby takes a gulp and it's way too hot. So we don't want that. So you can either run the bag under warm water, you can stick it in a bowl of warm water, or you can put it in the fridge overnight to defrost that way. That totally works. So hopefully that's helpful. Yes.
1: Yeah. I, I know that when I had my first, I was like, well, how do I even, I mean, I know they don't want me to use a microwave, but like this is gonna take forever. How do do yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. You just have to kind of like Absolutely. pre-plan. I just fill exactly. a little mug of like warm water and I stick it in there, and that's what I do too. You know, ten yes. minutes, and then I and then I put it in the bottle. Exactly. Go change the diaper. Yeah, Sorry. and it's never going to be the, t- the exact temperature of your breast. Yeah, you know. But yes, but baby will take it. I promise. Exactly. <laughs> Eventually. Exactly. Yes, they will. Okay. Is there anything you can do before birth to help prepare for breastfeeding?
0: education. Honestly, Um, there's nothing you can physically do. And I think that's important for moms to note, because there are a lot of people who worry about breastfeeding ahead of time and they worry about their supply. What do I do? Is it going to be good enough? Yada, yada. There's nothing that you can do ahead of time to like increase your milk supply. There's nothing you can take, nothing you can do to make your milk supply better. It is all hormone driven and once the placenta is birthed right after the baby, that's when it starts to become more of a demand and supply situation. So you being skin to skin with your baby, you putting your baby to breast frequently and consistently, that's going to give you a better supply of milk. There's nothing you can do or eat or take or anything in advance to increase your milk
1: supply. Perfect. And is it best to empty just one breast per feed? So this is actually interesting because one of my babies did this where they just would only, it was only like a month period of time where she would just take one breast and then she was full. And then the next feeding, she would take the next breast, Uh and then she was full. So she wouldn't take both breasts. But this person's wondering, do I empty one breast and then the next feeding do the next breast, or do I just do a little bit of both? And so I feel like this is something we definitely need to touch on because this could go bad.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So. What we call what we do at our hospitals, we say you offer dinner and dessert. So you put your baby on the first side and let them have their dinner, um, you know, get them nice and full or however much they want to eat. And then you sit them up and burp them. And you offer the other side. Mm -hmm. If they don't want it, that's fine. Start on that side the next time. If they do want it, then go ahead and let them eat a little bit. Sometimes they'll eat for two minutes on that second side and be done. And that's fine. Think about yourself as an adult. Sometimes you want to have dessert and sometimes you don't feel like it. You're nice and full from your first. So that's kind of a good good way to look at it and realize if you don't stimulate that second side with that feeding, just start on that side the next time. There's no need to pump that side. Um, Unless you're already struggling with milk supply, there's no need to pump that second side. That's what I did with my first, and I ended up with a huge oversupply. Your body is going to produce what your baby takes. So if if baby is taking a nice, good, full feeding from that first side, and then they don't want that second side at that one feeding, that's okay. Your body will kind of adjust itself to, to go along with that. So there's no need to then think you have to throw a pump on or do anything like that.
1: Yes. And so this question actually goes right along with that. And this person wants to know how to get baby more hind milk versus fore milk. So I guess you could kind of define what hind milk and fore milk is because not everybody knows. And then making sure you have a good balance of both.
0: Absolutely. So this is such like a big misconception and such a big debacle is like the foremilk hind milk theory yeah, thing. Yeah. So so foremilk is milk that your baby gets at the beginning of a feeding. Hind milk is milk that your baby gets towards the end of the feeding. That's typically higher up in your breast. Now the the theory is that your hind milk is all fatty milk and that your foremilk is all watery milk. Now this is the case sometimes, but not all the time. It depends on how frequently you're feeding your baby four milk can be fatty if you fed your baby recently let, let's say an hour and a half ago in their cluster feeding and they want to feed again the four milk they get at that second feeding could be very fatty so there's no no reason to discount that but typically the four milk helps kind of quench the baby baby's thirst give them proper electrolytes etc cetera, etc cetera. and then the hind milk is more of that fat and sugar and that type of thing so you want to make sure the big thing with breastfeeding all around is Attempting to empty your breasts. Your breasts are never truly empty, but attempt to empty the first breast before moving on to the second breast. Now, if we're, you know, if you're only letting baby nurse five minutes on that first side and then you're unlatching them and putting them on the second side, that's when you start running into okay, are they getting too much for milk because they're they're not at that breast draining the breast, getting all of those fatty cells from the end of the feeding. Yes. And that can also hit your supply a little bit, too, because you want to make sure you're emptying one breast before switching to the other. And a lot of people are like, well, how can I tell if my breast is empty? Watch your baby. Um, Your baby is going to give you those signs if baby unlatches themselves, they fall asleep. If you're not really able to express much milk out of that side when baby's done nursing, you don't feel full anymore on that side. Those are all
1: things to look at. Excellent. Okay. I think we have, let's see, one more. Sure. So what is considered normal for cluster feeding frequency? And so this question I liked because... there's no normal, right, Carrie? I there's mean, not. There's, there's not, girl. I know. I'm like,
0: I'm so sorry. I'm going to yeah, say this. I know. There's not. There's not. It's It's honestly, when, when your baby demands it, you give it to them type yeah. of thing. Um, Some babies will want to cluster feed every, they'll be on for 10 minutes. And then 30 minutes later, they want to be on again. And then, you know, 45 minutes later, they want to be on. So it really depends. And then there are some babies who, for, for some moms, cluster feeding is like every hour and a half to two hours. To them, that Cluster feeding because typically their baby goes three hours. You know, everybody's going to be different. Um, there's no specific amount of time. It's just what cluster feeding is, is just that baby is at breast way more often, like multiple times in a row than you're used to, or more often than those every three hours, like we always hear. Yes.
1: All right. So that is the end of the questions I gathered. There are a lot more, but we are approaching (laughs) an hour now. So I want to finish by asking you two questions. I ask all of my interviewees. And the first question is, if you could give moms one tip, just one, it could be related to anything. What would it be?
0: Oh my gosh, man, that's a big I know, one. It's if, really... I could give, if I could give moms one tip, so I, this is something I wish somebody would have told me, is if you need, if you ever need to set your baby down in their crib and walk away for a couple of minutes to take a deep breath, you are an amazing, amazing mom that you are able to do that. Do not feel bad about that. That is wonderful. I wish somebody would have told me that. Because there are, there are moments where you get so overwhelmed and so frustrated and maybe your partner's not home or you're by yourself. That is the safest thing that you can do for you and your baby. I think it is incredible. It shows an incredible amount of strength when you are able to do that. Yes, agree.
1: 100%. The second question is meals. What is your favorite meal <laughs> to serve your family that your kids will also eat?
0: Meat and potatoes. <laughs> I love I love doing a, like a crock pot roast beef and then mashed yes. potatoes. That is like my favorite thing ever. And yep, my kids will eat it right up too. We usually put it on like a piece of bread, like an open face roast beef yeah. with gravy. And oh, that's love my favorite. Yeah. I
1: love it. I love asking that question because I feel like <laughs> I Every mother ever, she's struggling with dinner time, trying to figure out a good meal to feed their kids. So it's so fun to listen to all of the answers, you know. <laughs> I I'm know. Like, oh, okay, that is a fun one. And my son is so picky, so that that's amazing that he eats that. I know. Every kid's, you know, my my yeah. second does not eat, and that's a whole another. Like, oh my god! Oh, gosh. I know whole other topic. Oh, Feeding them when they're young is just as difficult as feeding them when they're old. (laughs) Exactly. It's so true. Oh my gosh. And we will end with that. So thank you so much, (laughs) Carrie. This was awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I'm sure a lot of new mamas and even old mamas will really appreciate this. So
0: thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
1: Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will
0: immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death